Well, here we go. Deck 78. Hey, guys, come over here and have a seat. I got some Sumerian sunsets for all of us. Well, how Sumerian. nice. I, this, <laughs> I didn't think Sumeria had a sun. Well, apparently it does. It does now. So today <laughs> we got a very uh, special episode, a very special guest here on uh, Deck 78. I'm going to give you a hint. Somewhere just, by night. It's just one of those strangers that we met on the way. It's one of those strangers we met on the way. You could call them moonlighting strangers. <laughs> and we're talking. We're going to talk to uh, Scott Ryan. Scott's the author of the new book, Moonlighting and Oral History. It's a wonderful book uh, that I recently read. Uh, fan of Scott's work. Uh, he did... Um, He's done a lot of writing on um, Twin Peaks, and he did The Last Days of uh, David Letterman, a bunch of other wonderful books. But his new book on moonlighting is really something special. He got virtually everyone involved with it, and I've never seen them so candid talking about the rise and fall of uh, the phenomena that was uh, moonlighting, which uh, uh, is just such a terrific show. And unfortunately, because it's been out of circulation, a lot of people uh, don't know it. We hope to rectify that uh, today by having Scott join us on the show. Indeed. And speaking of joining oh, yeah. us on the show, I'm so glad to see my uh, fellow <laughs> Trexperts, uh, Darren Doctorman and Ashley Miller, are both here on Deck 78. Howdy ho! <laughs> I'm ahead of the joke. <laughs> that's uh, that's lovely, Ashley. Yeah, drink, drink your drink. Drink your drink. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, with that, uh, out any uh, further ado, let's have Guy and bring in uh, uh, Scott. Uh, let's Scott uh, Ryan here. Let's pull up a chair for him. Pull up a chair. So here we are with, with Scott. Scott, I'm I'm so happy to to, to see you. I, I talked to you many moons ago for your wonderful Twin Peaks podcast uh, mm -hmm. about shockingly Twin Peaks, and of course. that was a that was a lot of fun. And then uh, you you've done some wonderful books as we talked about earlier, which um, including the Last Days of David Letterman and and a bunch of writing on Twin Peaks. But it was funny because you came out with a moonlighting book, and I. I hadn't watched Moonlighting and obviously like most people in a long time because it's not readily available. And I started reading, I said, this, this book's really good. This is a really good oral history. I, I better watch out. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I thought it was terrific. And then I put it aside with, with every intent of, um, of, uh, of coming back to it. And I was on this nine zillion hour flight to Europe. And um, I looked to see what I had downloaded on the Kindle, there was the uh, there was uh, the the moonlighting, and uh, I said, "Oh, I got to finish reading this." And I decided to start again from the beginning, and it was such a great book. It's such a great book. Um, it's a great oral history. You got phenomenal access, and in fact, it made me so excited about moonlighting again that I went and you know I did something I never do because I don't believe in watching stuff on YouTube. Like I don't watch stuff that people aren't being paid for that that aren't that isn't official i don't like work watching shitty quality but i went and watched a whole mess of moonlighting episodes because it's the only way to watch it and uh i i absolutely it just rekindled my love of the show so uh kudos you, to you oh uh, thank you so much and i remember when you contacted me and you said hey do you want to put a blurb on your book that says 
you'd have to be trapped on a nine hour flight before you'd read this. And I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, could I get that on my book? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was going for. No, no, it was great. Because I mean, and then I was, I was just, I would, I didn't stop reading it. Just once I got off the flight, I, I continued to read it. I was not until I was done with it. Um, but, um, and, you know, and obviously it's interesting because you've cultivated like a continuing association slash friendship with a lot of the people you talk to which is interesting given how honest the book is about, you know, the, the, the whole experience of making the show. Well, you know, he, here's the thing about the Moonlighting book that I feel, and I can say this because you kind of said it yourself, that I keep telling people like, this book is so good. And it's not because of me. It's because of the story of Moonlighting, and it's insane that no one's ever told this story before, that this story sat here for 30 years before it came out. I mean, I think it's honestly a page turner, whether, as you said, you couldn't really remember the show or, you know, it's not really plot based. It, to me, it's the story of creation. It's not like you have to know what case Dave and Maddie are working on or something. And this like is that. a great place to take a step back because I want to assume a lot of people are listening, don't know the show, maybe vaguely know the show. Remember, it was Siskel and Ebert's uh, favorite movie of 1982 and realized, oh, wait, that was Moonlighting with Jeremy <laughs> Irons. That wasn't, uh, that was something completely different. So I, I want to sort of put this in context. But before I do that, at the time, there was a lot of articles being written about the conflict on the set and how, you know, and, and, and it was never really went into any details other than, you know, uh, Sybil hated Bruce, Bruce hated Sybil, everybody, you know, Sybil hated uh, Mark, uh, uh, you know, Mark Karen, you know, all this stuff. But you actually, to your credit, you know, sort of explain it all. Everyone's very candid, which is the joy of writing a book 30 years later, as opposed to three years later. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think that this book needed to wait all this time before it could be written. Now, it would have been nice if just a few years earlier, we would have had Bruce, you know, yeah. he, he wanted to be involved in, in it. You know, now I can talk about it from the, when I was doing yeah. the interviews for the book, I really couldn't because it wasn't really out there. But yeah, I mean, we, everyone knew, I mean, everyone in the business knew but it was nobody would talk about it. And it was a horrible thing. And, and uh, you know, now he's announced it, or the family's announced it to the world. They know the situation with Bruce. And it's really, it's so sad. And yeah, and he, I mean, he really did want to be a part of it, um, but he just couldn't. So I, you know, it's heartbreaking to not have Bruce in the book, but you really do learn a lot about him through everyone else's story. Oh God, you feel his presence. Yeah. Uh, much like Darth Vader and Obi Wan. Okay, so um, <laughs> and, and much uh, <laughs> much like watching a commercial for uh, Seagram's Golden Wine Coolers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so tell us why Moonlighting, when it debuted in 1985, March third, third, on ABC, was such a game changer for television, and and it burned so brightly for a short period of time. And then it kind of flamed out in a sense. And I'm talking about mostly about the ratings and about the, the way it was perceived by the critics. But then it was it was still on a slow burn. People forget like a lot of these great shows that lasted one or two seasons. Moonlighting was on for five seasons. Right. And uh, 
you know, and people remember the, you know, they remember the brilliance of the first season, the second season, you know, and, and there were a lot of extenuating circumstances why the later seasons, you know, it kind of very similar in a way to what happened with Community, you know, where Dan Harmon gets fired and then, and then he comes back and just, um, uh, and, and how they had, you know, a really bad season, but then they came back and barely came back and, um, you know, it was great. And then it wasn't so great. And then it was great again. And how it completely transformed television and moonlighting was really at the forefront of changing television in the eighties. So tell us a little bit about what the show was, why it was significant. Well, the main thing that is hard to put in perspective now is just how straight laced television was in 1985. I mean, it was littered with either complete nighttime soaps where you've got your Dallas, your Dynasty, your Knots Landing. And then on the flip side were these detective shows where these people were like the most model citizens of all time, you know, solving crimes bravely. And in walks David Addison, who has never taken anything seriously in his life. And he's like a real human, uh, just with great writers and the best one-liners ever. And then you mix that with Sybil Shepard, who was just strikingly beautiful and a movie star. And TV just hadn't seen that. Like, and it was fun. And, well, and it broke dangerous. the fourth wall and it was super meta. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I think I, I'm glad that Glenn Gordon Karen does give credit to a certain extent to Remington Steel because Remington Steel, although it didn't push the boundaries of moonlighting, it was, I mean, if you remember their episodes, we're always alluding to noir, especially in those early seasons. It, it had a really great, interesting relationship with two stars who hated each other, Pierce and Stephanie Zimbalist. And it was a it, 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 it was an inch, it inched the medium of the sort of the thin man kind of derived detective show yeah, further it, on television. It, it took it took that standard sort of trope and switched it around, which was uh, excellent. And then Moonlighting completely blew it up. But what's so fascinating, I think, is you, you think, okay, Glenn Karen, Karen must have watched, you know, bring, bring, you know, you know, um, uh, must have watched like Philadelphia Story and all these great Howard Hawks movies millions of times, all these great, you know, bring a baby, all these great, you know, screwball comedies. But it, he didn't. Yeah. You know, he, he, it was Sybil. It was Sybil who, because of course she had uh, been with Peter Bogdanovich all those, those years, who knew this stuff backwards and forwards and educated Glenn about these kind of films. Yeah, I mean, she was the one that had them screen it. And then the director of the pilot, Bob Butler, also yeah. was was knowledgeable about that. And I mean, Bob Butler, like I got to interview Bob Butler. Isn't that insane? Oh, we had like, the same feeling when we had Bob on the show. We're yeah. like, oh, my God, this is incredible. amazing. I, I mean, we yeah. just an icon in 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 several decades. Well, and was, I was glad to see in Quentin's new book in that um, the new book that just came out. He doesn't dwell on it, but he mentions that Robert Butler was a really underrated uh, film director, too. Yeah. And, that, you know, and, and it was it was great to just even see that shout out to Bob, because Bob, what he did with these pilots, Moonlighting, Remington Steel, Hill Street Blues, um, Star Trek, obviously, is extraordinary. Well, and it was really funny because I got 
Bob late in the game uh, through Jay Daniels. And Jay said, okay, I talked to Bob. You know, he here's his phone number. You're just going to have to cold call him. He doesn't email, you know, just call him. Mm-hmm. He's ready for you. And I'm like, I, what time do I call? Whatever, just call him. And I'm like, I have to cold call like one of the greatest television directors of all times. And he was so nice. And we talked, you know, I think he was like, I don't know, 90 or something. I mean, he's up there. And he just said, look, I'm going to talk until I don't feel like talking anymore. And I said, whatever you can give. And honestly, we talked. And then he said, okay, I'm done. And I'm like, all right, sir, thank you. And and we were done. But I mean, I got what I needed. And to have him in the book was just like incredible. Yep. We had the same experience with him. He was so sharp as a tack and telling great stories and total energy. And then he got to the point where, okay, he's done. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so totally, totally get it. He's great in the book, obviously, has great stories about that wonderful pilot. But it's funny because the pilot only hints at the heights of the show, you know, at how good the show will become. Well, and I honestly don't think it's that good of a pilot. To be honest, um, it, it you know it's it's definitely the worst episode in the in the first couple seasons, only because they don't have it down yet. You know, it took a couple episodes for speed, and that's one of the things that Glenn kept saying: it's got to be faster. We got to do it faster. Mm-hmm. And people were thinking, "Are you crazy?" And then also they wanted them to talk at the same time, which again, you watch TV now. It's no big deal to have two people talking at the same time. But in 1985, it was one person talks, other person answers. Walk Uh, up to your mark, hit it, say the line. Just because that's how TV was made, you know, and I think it's just extraordinary um, that that was the approach that uh, that Glenn took with that show. I mean, putting aside the content, just how the show felt, you know, was itself very different because of that. I'm curious to hear from you guys. Did I assume you all watched Moonlight? Because I feel like we're all about the same age. H- how did Moonlighting affect you guys as creative people back then? Am I, I ask questions. Yeah, Wait, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Questions you are. I, 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 will, I, will, I, will, I don't I, think I that's allowed. What? <laughs> I, was in, I was in college. There's no fighting in the war room. I was in college when Moonlighting was on, and you know, I I remember the reviews just being glowing. So I made a point of watching it, and. I loved it, um, and uh, but it really wasn't until that classic episode, um, uh, the Dorison Wells episode, the dream sequence always knocks twice, rings twice, once, rings twice, yeah, that um, that I totally fell for the show, and like everybody, I would get really frustrated. Well, like most people, because you're much more charitable than I am to uh, the DePesto uh, Curtis Armstrong episodes. And, you know, like everybody would get really frustrated because the show was constantly in repeats and constantly being preempted because they couldn't keep up. You know, now it would be different. They would shoot eight to 10 and it wouldn't air until um, right. they were finished. But, you know, back then it's like they couldn't make their 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 broadcasts. They couldn't finish in time and they couldn't get scripts delivered in time. So they were constantly being preempted or focusing, doing episodes, focusing on the supporting characters, which were a lot less interesting. They were great flavors in the soup, but when they became the soup, it was not as tasty, 
you know, I can uh, eat a movie like that. You know, it was like the French onion soup with only the bread, but no cheese. <laughs> it's so. not really soup. It's just bread now. <laughs> you're you're roundabout talking about Ted McGinley, aren't you? <laughs> I, I knew it. So, um, but I I I really enjoyed it. But you know, like a lot of people, I think I began to lose interest. You know, sort of when they were treading water, and this, of course, was the time when Bruce was doing Die Hard and Sybil was pregnant and. You know, Glenn Gordon Cameron was off doing Clean Sober, and there was a, you know, and, and I, I kind of, it was a combination of being in college and doing other things and, you know, right. just and not knowing, you know, it was also VCR age. So you had to right. remember to set the VCR before DVRs even. So like half the time, you didn't know if it was a new episode and do I record it and whatever. So it was hard to keep up. Um, and then there was never a great home video a uh, version anchor yeah. paid did the DVD, but it was not not great. So um there are probably episodes I still haven't haven't seen to this day. But um but yeah I think it, it definitely struck a chord in me because I was always a huge fan of the screwball comedies. And in fact I remember when we were doing Agent X um there was an episode and I just felt like we, we wrote we wrote to be more of a screwball screwball comedy and I said I want you to watch Philadelphia story tonight. And I want you to watch Bring a Baby and you'll get the kind of rhythm that we're going for. And um, they did and they came back and it was like, like, oh, my God, these movies are crazy, incredible. <laughs> like they never heard of them. Never, never knew oh they existed. And, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, OK. Uh, go." I, and then they started asking me, could you suggest more of these? And I'm like, you know, I'm, and I gave them a whole list. And then I would ask them about their homework if they watched, you know, their Howard Hawks uh, or, or Frank Capra movies that weekend and everything. But. Anyway, love moonlighting, <laughs> but but you know definitely, and and would read the newspapers at the time because there was no internet to kind of find out what the f is going on. Why, why do they have no new episodes, and why are they always doing Curtis Armstrong, and what the hell is all this? Right. I didn't uh, I didn't catch it on its first run. I only picked it up when it started being syndicated. On um, lifetime. Yes, correct. Uh, and uh, it was also at the same time when I was watching uh, uh, in syndication thirty uh, something, so I I would conflate them a little bit as like one was the serious one and one was the funny one, um, but uh, I I enjoyed it you know I I I liked I liked the uh, the episodes themselves I never liked Addison's character. I never liked him at all. I thought, yeah, believe it or not, yeah. That's so interesting. Why <laughs> yeah. would you watch it if you didn't like half of the show? Because there's like, only three because, other shows on at well, the time. that's part of it. Yeah, but because it was still interesting. Wow. And and you know, we often watch things that we don't like just to, you know, I, I hate I dare say hate watch, but right. um I didn't hate the show. I thought it was uh, I thought it was um uh live and uh, energetic and uh but i i just sort of picked up on on bruce willis's uh personality through the character and uh i i i didn't enjoy him as such well, later I mean, on i yeah, later so on I, I came around me. later um, on i came around first but, of all i have to say i also wrote a book about 30 something i know so awesome. I, have a, <laughs> I have a 30 something oral history that was my first uh tv book and i love 30 something and you know i, I don't too. i don't want to cause any trouble but i would say 30 something is probably a better show than moonlighting it's is I, it though yeah i think it is <laughs> yeah because yeah i, actually, yeah. I, I wouldn't make the, the fight that that the depth something of, could the, be the best show ever the depth of their bench was stronger 
That's that's true. And I think, look, the, the great strength of 30-something, it's uh, like somebody said, the reason why shows about 20-somethings never work is because there are no stakes when you're 20 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, you haven't married anybody. You don't have a family. You don't have a house. Like, there is literally nothing that you can't let go of. And that's why 30-something worked and the other stuff didn't. Well, my, my favorite joke about 30-something at the time was that, look, if you're if you're so upset about not being able to communicate with people, the least you can do is shut the hell up. That's great. But, <laughs> I mean, to, to me, like Moonlighting was I loved that show. And that show to me was a was a revelation because of the dialogue, because of the snap, because of the relationship between those characters. I'd never seen anything like it. Contra Darren. I love David S. <laughs> yeah, it's too. like that's the yeah. guy I wanted to be. I wanted to be like that quick, like that snappy. Um, and I got into uh, into screwball comedies backwards, the way that Mark was describing uh, the people he worked with on Asian X. Like when I saw His Girl Friday for the first time, I went, "Wait a minute, that's just like Moonlighting," which is <laughs> <laughs> an idiotic thing to say, although it's also true. <laughs> you know, we did that on Free Enterprise too. You know, we 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 actually introduced a few people to screwball comedies to try and get the pace of the dialogue up. And not naming any names. Quicker. Well, yeah, some people got. <laughs> well, some people like. You know, Eric McCormick already knew the screwball comedies that they, you know, took to it like a fish to water. And, you know, they, that they they were thrilled to have that, uh, you know, other people less so. So, um, you know, characters based on Mark got it and characters based on other characters maybe didn't. But uh, but it was uh, it was it was really um, I just love screwball comedies. And that's why I thought the fact that, you know, this was because if Remington Steele was the thin man, you know, then kind of this was moonlighting was you know it was philadelphia but it had you know the big sleep in it too i mean it had you know had all that so you know all movies that i loved and i loved obviously uh, bruce willis because he would say or do anything and uh, obviously a real uh you know new yorker um you know he was discovered at a bar that's why (laughs) and you know civil civil you know i mean I, i first of all i love my cool hitchcock blondes but she was also crazy, you know, like crazy funny. Like, and it was, you know, the, the fact that, I mean, she was so versatile and so interesting and so knowledgeable about movies and just, you know, I loved her. So it's like, I love both of them. So I was always kind of rooting for both of them. And it was interesting because obviously this is kind of the era of the will they or won't they, because Cheers had the will they or won't they and Moonlighting had the will or the won't they. And it's sort of, and following you know, Remington Steel, which had, I mean, everybody was will they or won't they, which was, um, and and Moonlighting had an interesting way of dealing with it. They, they did, and a lot of people say that's when it jumped the shark, right. but you really got to look at it and question that because they did some great episodes after that as well. Well, and, and that was, there were two main things that made me want to do this book. One was, I never understood why no other show was as creative as Moonlighting. And you mentioned community, and I would say that's the closest. Yeah. And then now I would say Atlanta uh, is certainly creative, but not in that way that Moonlighting was, where they just really, like, you never knew what to expect. And then the second thing was something that you just mentioned and went out of my head that fast. Oh, no, it was like the idea that them getting together um, ruined the whole show. Mm -hmm. And as a writer, that was interesting to me, that decision. And I've always, I wanted to have that discussion, like 
you know, why did all this happen? And and you learn in the book, they had no choice. It wasn't yeah. really a decision. I mean, uh, Glenn had something crazy, like three days to make the decision because he Bruce was leaving to do Die Hard. Mm-hmm. And he was going to be gone and Sybil was going to be done for and put on bed rest. And he's got to do, yeah, she's, she finds out she has twins and she's got like, you know, a month to film, but Bruce has like days and they do that. They have to do a season finale and he's got moments to make a decision. And, you know, that was never covered in the press. Nobody was taught, like TV mm-hmm. wasn't looked at that this way. Now we would have all that information on Twitter, although we wouldn't know if we should believe it if it had a blue check mark or, or Well, not. and also, right. And then Mark Harmon, they, they, you know, they only had him for a couple episodes because he was leaving to go Right, yes, something. he had a hard out as well. And they have to make this decision, then they have to live with it for an entire season. And that is, to me, as a writer, I really, that's my favorite part of the book. And to me, when the book really takes off, because you want to blame and say, oh, it's because they had sex, but that has nothing really to do with it. If they wouldn't mm-hmm. have had sex in that episode, they still would have, Sybil still would have been on bed rest. Mm-hmm. He, Bruce is still going to make Die Hard. Glenn's still going to make Clean and Sober. And now right. they would have never had but, sex. But I, I think um, there is something there is something to that. And it's not that the show got worse. It's not that there there weren't uh, good episodes that that followed all of that. I think that the uh, there is a central tension that was part of the show's engine that drove it forward. And I think it was even more complex than will they, won't they? Um, I think it was what was sitting underneath between them and that there was a, a hope that the audience was carrying with them um, that something would be consummated, but also this fear. And the moment that it happened, like the hope dissipates by definition, that fear dissipates by definition, because now it's in the rearview mirror. And is as you know great as the dialogue remained. And again, I think there were some really great episodes that that followed that. Like um it, it it didn't have the same energy. The energy of it changed. Its identity changed. And those other things, I think, probably um, fed into it. But look, I mean, the decision to do something like that, I mean, you think about you know, how difficult it is to make television, right? It's like uh, one of my actors on uh, Andromeda once said to me, it's like, Ashley, we don't shoot pages. We shoot days. And, you know, as a, as a showrunner, you find yourself in a position where you have to make decisions um, and not necessarily know if they're going to work. And you just have to put your faith in what's going to come next. It's a little bit like, I think, being, you know, a, a quarterback in the NFL, not like Pop Warner, not high school, none of that, not college, but like the NFL, you know, in the championships. And sometimes you just have to put the ball in the air and trust your receivers because that's the only choice you have. Mm. And and, I, and to me, I feel like that was the position that 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 Glenn was in. And look, why why shouldn't he be confident? He's a, a terrific writer, and um, Moonlighting was his sketch pad. You know, it's like you look what he did afterwards. You know, you look at just kind of the interesting choices that he makes in the shows that he does after that, and even now and again, never quite hit um, you know the the weirdness level of. Uh, of moonlighting, although occasionally it, it got pretty weird. 
Um, but I think Moonlighting was his was his laboratory. It's where he experimented with story and with storytelling. And but I it's think- amazing that he had the latitude to do that. Yes, because right. you know he could literally they would shut down because they didn't have scripts and they would indulge him, and that was because obviously the ratings and then later the Emmys. But it, it, to have that kind of of, of luxury, mm-hmm. where you know, and then they would go days and days over schedule, and these scripts were what we, we said there were 60, 70 page scripts, right? I mean, they're huge. I think they were one hundred and twenty. Yeah, one hundred and twenty for 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 fifty minutes of television. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible yeah. because people talk so quickly, and yeah. then of course there's you know uh, deleted scenes as well. I mean, it's remarkable. Um, so I have a, you know, about your thing about like moving up. I, has everyone seen Twin Peaks? Mm-hmm. Sure, I've heard of it. Um, <laughs> you know, That's the show about the mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in okay. some way or another. Uh, but you know, David Lynch now says that he was forced to to say who did it. And you know, I don't ever remember hearing that back in the '90s, but that's the story we're told now. Right. And people now say, "Oh, well, once they said who did it, the show was no good." And you which is say, bullshit. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. But you had to tell who did it because that was the whole thing. If we didn't have what I call episodes 14, 15, and 16 of Twin Peaks, the show would be nothing. You needed to have that. Because that makes it a grown-up thing. I have a mystery. I solve the mystery. That's storytelling. And one of the things Glenn says that I think is so true is that here are two adult people who are amazingly good-looking. It's unbelievable they're never going to have sex. And he didn't want to tell that story. Mm -hmm. And I like that. Like, I hate that on Bones, you know, whatever, 400 episodes and they can't get together or I didn't give a shit that Ross and Rachel got together in this series finale. I cared in season one and I didn't care anymore. Tell me a grown-up story. Scott, I think for some people, though, it was also the way they got together. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't just that they got together because, you know, you could argue that she wasn't initially complicit you know that it, it's nah, not nobody said that 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 you know, they, you're right the writers say that now but i i think that's looking back do you really think that anyone thought that back in i don't i don't but it's, it's like you said about twin peaks i think there's a lot of uh revisionist right uh commentary because i, I you know it's true about twin peaks yeah they struggled with that nonsense that noir plot with james marshall <laughs> and the, the the widow and all that shit right. but but the Wind and Merle stuff was fantastic. It's, it's some it's of the like, best episodes. Yeah, and 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 uh, you know, people were were tuning out by the droves because they hadn't answered who killed Laura Palmer. Everyone wanted to know. It was the first question everybody. In fact, you could argue they waited too long to answer that question, yeah. and that they were spinning plates too long. Yeah. But I mean, and it's a brilliant episode. I mean, the reveal. It's an, uh, yeah, it's know, incredible. I mean, One of the best episodes ever. So yeah. I, it's, you know, I, I, I have a problem with people say it's people who just parrot the conventional wisdom. And it's the same thing with Moonlighting. You see people parroting the conventional wisdom. You know, everyone now does the musical episode. You know, that's oh, right. where, you know, we're yeah, doing out of the did you know, it on Fringe. And I oh, you know, what Strange New Worlds is doing a crossover with the animated series, like whatever that is. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, you look at something as great as the noir um, episode is, and it truly is amazing i mean in getting orson welles days before he dies to do the introduction now that's <laughs> casting oh my god and Sybil <laughs> says to him come do this and he comes and does yeah. uh the introduction which is well, remarkable he used to sleep on her couch so 
Yeah, exactly. So he kind of owed her. Um, but, and he's great in it. He's great in it. And I love reading in your book how everyone's just in awe, you know, how they're just in awe of Orson Welles and what a, right. what a big deal it is, which is great. But then, you know, Atomic Shakespeare is even better, you sure. know? And that I, episode is is certainly one of the best episodes of television ever, and at the time was the most expensive episode of television ever. And people don't really talk about it, which is which is the tragedy of the show not being available. And I know that right. Glenn has hinted recently that uh, ABC or Disney is working on uh, rectifying that because, of course, it is the product of, of the many shows from the 80s that suffered that the music rights weren't cleared for mm-hmm. home video and this dimension and all other dimensions for right. all time and, and, you know, beyond, you know, uh, the end of the earth. But, um, you know, it was something that hurt, uh, obviously, Wise Guy, um, uh, uh, a lot of other, a lot of other Wonder shows. Years. Wonder yeah. Years. And it's hopefully, and Glenn Gordon Cameron always said he would not allow them to replace the music. To his credit, you know, um, would not allow and there's the Beatles are in there and the Rolling Stones are in there and so if this happens it'll be amazing but the streaming economics have made it possible and I mean the day this shows up on Hulu won't that be a wonderful thing yeah I mean my guess is it'll be on Disney plus because Disney owns it yeah, but they own Hulu too and I think Disney oh, plus right, is a do. little too um a you know it's a little more now. adult you know it's like I don't know if it would be on Disney plus I, f- I feel like Hulu would be the right, right place for them but who knows, whatever, wherever it is. Wherever it is, I'll certainly be happy because everything I cover, 30-something Moonlighting Letterman, it doesn't stream. Yeah, My wife yeah. begs me, could you do Walking Dead or something? Something <laughs> people watch. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm looking for a show that no one cares about. And everyone See, that's so funny. It. I have the No audience. streaming. The, 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 you know, our publisher comes to us and they, they pit, you know, it's like, or Ed, Ed comes to me with these things. I'm like, no, it's not gonna make any money. I'm not interested in doing something. But don't you love the show? I said, yeah, but I'm not writing a show for. I'm about a show I love that six people are gonna read. I, you know, and it's like I'm like, you know, the publishers come to us with stuff like money. Yeah, they come. Oh, you want? You guys want to do Yellowstone? It's like, no, I don't. Thank you. Yeah. Very. <laughs> but um, uh, I mean, what are you gonna do? I do what I love and what. I have a question about that's mm-hmm. to me what sends me on the way I want to figure something out and then hope you can get the thing you know the contacts and you know I worked a long time to get Glenn to say yes I actually yeah. asked him after my 30 something book and I didn't hear anything but then I did the Letterman book and I sent him the Letterman book and that mm-hmm. certainly really helped you know because isn't that like, the fun I, I, when we're doing the show, I talk about it being like Trek archaeology, but doing the books, I feel it's like I have these questions that I want to answer. The only way to get the answers is to do these books and right. now the podcast to a certain extent. But I love that you say that about Moonlighting. You have all these questions that you don't have answers to. So you write a book to have access to all these people to tell you the answers. What are, what are some of the things that most surprised you that, that um, you learned or the answers that you got in writing the book that you didn't? know about um well for me the main thing was is how little prying i did um like i would have to say something as hard hitting as hi and then they would start spilling (laughs) immediately i mean i'm not tap was the tap was under so much pressure after all these years that they had to let it out dying for someone to ask them 
I mean, there was a person that um, I interviewed that like, before he even knew that like I have morals and and like I'm I'm have good intentions was like spilling dirt to me <laughs> before I could hit record almost you know <laughs> and that's really not my style like I, I'm not out to to take anyone down I don't work on something for a year to like say nasty things about people but I mean they just wanted to talk mm-hmm. they had the goods and they wanted to spill them and so to me, that's the thing about the, st- the story that works. And I always made sure that two people talked about it. But um, the most like stark thing for me was the interview with Alan Arkish, who was a director. He directed the most hours of Moonlighting and is, you know, did Ally McBeal fame, you know, a million shows. He he wanted to zoom and told just the greatest stories laughing having a great time we got up to he directed the episode where dave and maddie had sex um at the end of that episode he said look i got we had talked for two and a half hours he said i have a meeting can i call you back in three hours and i said yep we'll take a little break when he called back and then we talked about season four and after that he never smiled. His face browed. Mm. He was hunched over. He was angry. He had PTSD. Yes. <laughs> and it, it isn't just that viewers view that moment. It was all of them. It's mm. like they all got eaten alive at that point. And that's when I knew, like, that's what broke the book for me. And I was like, oh, we got a real story to tell. There's something that happens before that, Bruce was so happy to be discovered, but then he gets diehard and he changes. And then Sybil watches that explosion and that anger just goes everywhere. It, it comes through every part of everything. And you could see it in their face. And to me, that was so fascinating. That's right at that moment. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I thought you did a very nuanced job of dealing with the Rashomon of it all. Because it's very easy to say, oh, this is all on Sybil, right? But it doesn't come across that way, you know, or it's all Bruce, you know, it doesn't come. And then, you know, look, I know people who work with Glenn on other shows who don't all have the greatest things to say about him either. You could say, oh, well, maybe it was Glenn, but it wasn't. It was like they all, you know, did, well, they're human, you know, they all did great things and they all did terrible things. And there's no one person you could point to as being the one who was responsible for the sort of, to use a word they use now, toxic atmosphere. And it wasn't, you know, but I mean- I think it was toxic. I I think it actually was toxic. It's just, there wasn't a word for it. But the example I like to give, because I always like to say, everything I learned in life, I learned at Arby's. Arby's was my first job (laughs) when I was 16. I ran that drive-thru. And when you are running that drive-thru and the cars are backed up and you need your curly fries and you got a guy here that wants the Arby's sauce, you start yelling, hey, I need that. Get that. And, you know, the person making the sandwiches starts yelling at you. And that's just running the drive-thru at Arby's. Now imagine doing (laughs) a show that is behind schedule. There's no script every day. You got those monologues. What's Sybil? And I feel like a couple people, the directors and a couple writers say, like what Bruce and Sybil were put through was ridiculous. And also uh, Curtis Armstrong and Elise Beasley, like they were all getting these big paragraphs 
and you got to do it in a second because you're behind. Yeah. It was a pressure cooker. Nobody is going to behave in that situation. And it's 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 funny reading Elise because she really sounds like she she would love to still be doing this today. Like she yeah. would have been happy if the show went 25 seasons. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody else is like, okay, it's done. And you know, it's probably the best. And she just like you can tell she misses it so much. And Curtis is a delight, obviously. And he's a writer and he's an interesting guy. Oh, and, and just so nice and so um reserved. And like I didn't expect that because you know, you think of him from Revenge of the Nerds or anything you've ever <laughs> Risky seen. Business. Him in. Yeah. You know, all of his sitcom appearances, and he was so smart and soft spoken, and just like, and you know, just nothing like Herbert Viola at all. Uh, yeah. But such a great, great guy. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you guys do you have a favorite episode of Moonlighting when you think back? I mean, is there one that, that, that is your, your favorite? You know, starting with you, Scott. I mean, or do you look um, at it as one big canvas? No, no, I definitely do. I have two. Um, I mean, Big Man on Mulberry Street to me is a revelation. And that was the musical episode. They mm -hmm. do a six minute dance thing, like directed by Stanley Don. Yeah, that's incredible. I just I mean, with Sandal Bergman right after Conan. And and Sandal Bergman kept calling me kiddo. And and she actually butt dialed me a bunch of times. And Whoa. then she would just talk to me and like. And you're like, I'm talking to someone from Xanadu? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm so um, upset I, I didn't call you because we could not track her down for the 1982 documentary. She's one of the people we couldn't get from Conan. Just couldn't find her. I asked everybody. And we were trying to find an agent for her and everything. And if only I had reached out to yes. you, we could have. She might have butt dialed you. Yeah. Changed everything. And, with and her she, I loved her calling me kiddo. But so that <laughs> that is my one of my favorites. But I always pick uh, the season five premiere. Um, and it's pretty funny that I'm not going to come up with that title of the episode, which it's really is my favorite. But episode. tell tell people why. Dang. Obviously, you talked about the dance number, Big Man on Mulberry yeah. Street. But mm -hmm. there's such an interesting story behind that. The Billy Joel song, of course, but also the story the reveal in that episode about David. I mean, it's so, I, so if you can just explain, because again, unlike Star Trek, where we sort of assume that people have a certain level of knowledge about what we're talking about, Moonlighting, this may come as, you know, or people may not have watched in 30 years and not read your book, so they, they don't know. So They, they haven't been Well, they will after plane? this podcast. I mean, <laughs> they will. does nobody take a nine-hour plane ride anymore? <laughs> I mean, wait. <laughs> like, and you get trapped on there, and, you know, I got to just, this is driving me crazy that I can't think of the title of my favorite episode. So talk amongst yourselves. Uh, a Womb with a View, which no. I knew all along. <laughs> I knew that. I wrote a book about moonlighting. I think I know Did the you? title. So we've heard. <laughs> um, a Womb with a View is my favorite episode, but that's the season five premiere. But you want me to go back to Big Man. Okay. Here's the thing. And yeah, it's funny because you want me to spoil the ending. The show's I mean, when stream. are people going to watch this show? It's going to stream on Hulu. You called it. It's coming on Hulu. Okay, so tee it up without revealing the ending, okay? So then. the point of this is someone dies in New York, and David has to head back to New York. Uh, Maddie, of course, is really jealous. And you find out a major reveal about David Addison that I cannot 
spoiled. It's just in my nature. I can't spoil it. If okay. we were talking about 30 something, I couldn't give the spoiler that happens in season four. Uh, I just can't do it. But the idea is it's it's something it's that people oh, in um <laughs> soylent david the um it's something that now in a tv show would be no big deal but at that time was just completely shocking and it changes how you look at David Addison. You know, some people I heard even watched that show and didn't like David Addison. Wow. And, <laughs> I mean, I've heard it. It's rare. Sure, but very rare. This actually turns everything you learned about his uh, sexism, uh, his, his comments, and it really informs his character. And so watch Big Man on Mulberry Street, but I can't spoil it, but I'm sorry. It's just in my nature. The other thing I, I think was so interesting is that um, what comes across your book is how much Sybil and Bruce loved the show. Because, you know, at the time, you get a sense that they wanted to be anywhere else and that they were really done with it and really didn't have a great deal of love for it. And that you, you see now, you know, how much they truly loved the show and how much it, it meant to them. And I, 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 you also reminded me about all those wonderful um, interstitials or particularly like the, the where they make these sort of snarky meta things about not having new episodes that they would film right. and the, the, the beginning of the episodes where they'd have all this this really self-reflexive you know um comments about you know episodes that were coming up or weren't weren't airing and uh not getting the emmy not winning emmys and yeah just amazing i mean nobody was doing stuff like this and and nobody really has since um which is strange to me. Like someone needs to steal this idea and maybe it wouldn't work as well today. But the thing that was cool is it isn't Bruce and Sybil doing these things. It's David Addison and mm -hmm. Maddie Hayes introducing the episode or talking about next week. And that is so very meta that it's it's crazy. They knew they were television characters. And yeah. that is is something that Yes, I think Boston Legal did a little bit of looking at the camera and things like that, but it's not so much where these were characters that knew they were TV characters. And I, but loved I, I think Dan Harmon and Community, when you would have an episode like the Paintball episode, you know, oh or gosh. you know, where suddenly you do a western, or you're doing Star Wars, or you know, you're doing the stop motion animation episode, um, you know, for Christmas, and so I mean, there were definitely you know you could he was he was pushing the fourth showing how elastic the format could be in a way that i don't think had been done since glenn did it seven um, seasons in a movie and yeah and now it's movie. now it's happening six seasons of the movie so um what you actually you have a favorite episode of moonlighting oh, easy hands down um atomic shakespeare i mean that blew my honking mind man like just the you talk about meta like first of all suck on that saint elsewhere but you know the, the just the, the being in that world and feeling like wow it's like i don't know i had never um i had never engaged with a with a television show with a story in a television show on that level before in the sense that i mean and just so that everybody understands it's the point of view on that episode is a kid um who has to do his homework and he is imagining David and Maddie and the cast of his favorite show, and they are all doing Taming of the Shrew. That just and then John Goodman comes in and demands the homework. 
That's oh, right. No, that's and right. then it's like you're suddenly a now and again episode. Uh, and it just it blew my brain out the back of my skull, man. And it was it was funny as it always is. Um, I didn't. The funny thing is, at this point in time, I didn't appreciate screwball comedy and I didn't appreciate Shakespeare. Later on in life, obviously, I would come to appreciate both. But in the context of watching this episode, man, it was like, first of all, teenage boy doesn't want to do his fucking homework. That's me. I'm in. <laughs> you know, secondly, like, oh, yeah. You know, if it were like my favorite characters from my favorite show doing this, that would be great. Um it's just it's it was it was delightful to me and it that is the lowest rated episode of season three that has dave and maddie in it <laughs> that's amazing as soon as they saw shakespeare they were yep. out of there they were out they were shakespeare guy doesn't yeah. that just tell you everything you need to know about television audiences yeah. <laughs> it, it tells we, me we that not much has for. changed yeah. yeah so darren what about you I I did enjoy the uh, noir episode uh, even even uh, even more than the fact that Orson Welles was uh, narrating. Um, I, I doppelganger. I I liked I liked the fact that it was such a uh, such a change from the regular show and that they were uh, being very brave with it and I I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I I I I I, I you know. I, I I'm sort of drawn to like saying, oh, maybe it was a I should go with a, a regular episode of the show rather than one that broke format. But I just love the dream sequence. I love uh, you know the dream sequence always rings twice just because I love seeing it from the two perspectives that are so different. I love how they refused to shoot in color and then desaturated the mm-hmm. black and white that they actually shot in black and white because they knew the network which aired in color if they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that, you know, Orson Welles' introduction is so great. There's nothing wrong with your television. In 15 minutes, it will turn to black and white. And that's that's okay. And um, it's just, it's so great. And, and, and the, you know, everything about that episode is just, is, is so terrific. But there's so many great episodes. And even the bad episodes always have something clever in them. So, um but you know, it definitely is one of these shows where it's all over the map. I mean, you know, there's, there's brilliance, and then there's less brilliance, and and you know, some great guest stars, and um, it just it really, it, but it changed the medium. And I love, you know, obviously casting even Marie Saint as uh, Maddie's mom, even if those episodes weren't great. Um, just so so many great great things about about the show, and you know, about how it it it. it said this medium can do incredible things. You know, I mean, I think the films, the TV shows that we're always drawn to are the ones that broke new ground, whether it be Star Trek in 66 or, you know, Moonlighting. Um, you know, it, to me, obviously, Wise Guy was another show in the era that, you know, said, oh, serialized storytelling, you know, these arcs. I mean, that was groundbreaking at the time. And I love that. Um, so, you know, Twilight Zone is a show we all love that was, uh, so is all these shows that are, are remarkably uh, groundbreaking. So, uh, Scott, it's you did the Lord's work with this book. It's it's phenomenal. I encourage people yeah. to uh, either get the heart, the soft cover or the the Kindle version, and they can do that on Amazon or they can buy it directly from your publisher. Which is yeah, definitely for me. Just, you okay. want to go to scottryanproductions.com or that's the probably the easiest, and I can sign it for you. The book is in full color amazing pictures on great 
paper and I do own the publishing company and we were working on getting, you know, a distributor and the guy on the phone said, well, I'm looking at your books. Did you do a book on moonlighting? No one cares about moonlighting. <laughs> and I thought maybe before maybe you say not, that, look at the who right wrote person. It. Yeah. <laughs> also, you know, like maybe don't be on the call with that guy. But he also said, like, why would you waste money doing it on good paper and in color? Nobody's doing that. Just do a print on demand. And I said, oh, because we actually love what we do and we mm -hmm. want it to be beautiful. And, and we're not going with you, but thank you. And you got but, a lot of love for that book, too. I mean, you got a lot of great reviews. I imagine it sold pretty well. I think, you know, I mean, because there's no other book on the subject. There is no, know? yeah. And, you know, like I said, it's an actual good story. It's not just some nostalgic go through like when you especially if you're into television i'm sure all of you guys like you read these stories and you're like that is no tv show would be, get away with that yeah I mean, no we only scratched the surface going. of the the stories that you unearth and some of the stuff where i mean i literally on the plane would go oh my god you know it's like i could you know especially i mean it takes on a whole new level for those i remember the TV. stewardess kept coming up to you and said hey keep it down you must be reading that moonlighting that book. moonlighting book exactly. only, that was everyone during, on the plane's reading it that was during well, hour have, six we're gonna have to have you back to talk about twin peaks because of course you've written uh prolifically on that subject as well thank you um, and i just finished today i put the finishing touches on my next book which is about david lynch's lost highway hmm Awesome. Um, the whole book is done. Except it's, it's the last days of David Lynch. So yeah. Buying the Letterman <laughs> book with the David Lynch. With the book. David Lynch, but um, I'm just waiting on the Bill Pullman interview. But the whole book is done, designed, and ready to go. But Bill Pullman, just like Bruce, is is saying yes, no, yes, no. Hopefully, he's fine though. Boy, I wish I wouldn't yeah. have said just like Bruce. Now, if I get, had a uh, if I had like a dime every time I heard we're just waiting on the Bill Pullman interview you know, I'd be rich. <laughs> right. so, so but I, I can't let you guys let me go without, I need to talk about Star Trek. Okay. Oh, geez. That thing. All right. If you must. Now, What's that? I am rewatching the Rick Berman era of Star Trek. So I'm doing Next Generation. Okay. Now I'm going into Deep Space Nine mm -hmm. and I'm watching them as you're supposed to. Now, I don't want you to spoil anything for Deep Space Nine, but I just finished season two. But we can spoil David Addison, though. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no spoilers. But I don't understand Deep Space Nine. Like, Ashley? what were they thinking in the first two seasons? The first season is all murder she wrote. Every episode is murder she wrote. And then the second season is I take the runabout, I crash it, I get kidnapped, and I don't tell anyone where I'm going. Now, I should stick with Deep Space Nine, right? You should 100% no? stick with Deep Space Nine. 110% stick with Deep Space Nine. Okay, but the first two seasons- You will not regret it. Are, are well, in the rough, first season, right? they had Angela Lansbury, and they knew they had to use her. <sighs> I mean, I just Michael Pillar is a genius, and he's written most of these episodes, and I'm just- I, I promise like, you, ah. if you like, and it, it really like- it's strange because like it's a little bit like next generation look and i think there are great yeah. episodes in the first two seasons but like in the third season is really right. when it finds its voice that is very true uh you know and, just like uh, tos yeah yeah exactly whoops <laughs> except in reverse um but uh if you if you stick with it it will reward you richly and you will uh look back on everything sort of previous to that i think like in a in a in a in a different 
light. Like I think Plus, we'll actually... you still got the benefit of episodes like Duet in the mm-hmm. hands of the prophets. I mean, there's still some really pr- progress. Well, definitely when they do the religious Bajoran stuff. And here's the thing I think is fascinating. Like, Dukat and Garrick, is yes. see the mm-hmm. tailor? Those two actors and those characters come alive. Yeah. You realize the same thing they did. Yes. When they, they were writing it, not... they didn't know. And it, But it's been... Garrick was a one-off. I've watched 52 episodes. Yeah, and I these, think these I think part of the generation that was brilliant. Part of the problem yeah, is that that's what Avery, I need to know. Avery Brooks was bored, mm-hmm. and then you see the moment in the show where he not he's not bored anymore. Yeah, there is literally a yeah. moment. Yeah, it, like it actually up. happens on screen. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's. It's pretty fantastic. Okay, because I you, want... you, know, you also have Louise Fletcher and, and Frank Langella who yeah. are great in that second. It's just a great Again, So it's not without its moments. To me, I am all about the guest stars, the cast. I'm just not bonding. Michael with them made yet. a big, I'm going to give you a little piece of Trek, Trek information. Okay, now. that's now what I want to know. The Trek expert is going to give you his, share his you. wisdom with you. Thank you. So uh, Michael made a very big mistake with Deep Space Nine. They decided. Okay, we're going to put all our money, all our eggs into this super pilot that they spent a lot of money on. Mm-hmm. And now what we're going to do is do a bunch of smaller shows to make up for having spent all this money on the pilot. But that's mm-hmm. okay because the show takes place on the space station. So it's okay if we do a bunch of really small shows. We don't need to, we, we, we want to show people that this isn't necessarily about boldly going, this is about boldly staying, right? Right. Big mistake. You you can't suddenly go from this epic pilot to these tiny little episodes and, and expect people to get what you're doing. Unless was, you bring the bigger world into the station. Yeah, and it took right. a while for them to really understand what the show was. And the other key is, you know how Star Trek is transformed when Gene Kuhn comes on the original Star Trek? Right. When Ira Bear comes over... And starts to run, you know, Michael starts yeah, to go over to season two. He, you're right. Ira, who's a, he writes some great next generation. But wait until he's the showrunner because Michael goes off oh, to do okay, Legend so and oh, Voyager. So oh. By but third season. Ira Bear is running it transformative. Yeah. You have a Slugger's Row in there. You have Ira, you have Ron Moore, you have Renee Chavaria, you have Robert Wolf, you have like Hans Beimler, you have like these guys who were just like, you know, they're going to come over your Rene Echeverria. Yeah. Yeah. yeah his who also was on the air. medium with, um, I know, and, yeah. and on now and again with, uh, Glenn. So yeah. it's just, uh, there's when just Ron and Renee come over. It's transformative. Yeah. And Ron comes over, Rene Echeverria comes over and they know how to write character. But if you don't watch season four, five, and six and think that this show is something special that we've misled you, but I can't imagine someone with your taste. Right. Is 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 not going to watch season four, five, and six of Deep Space Nine? No, I, I have I've something wonderful to watching yeah. all of Deep Space Nine and Voyager, which I've never seen. I I love the next generation. Well, so much. yeah, <laughs> if they can't all be winners, but you know, but, but, but honestly, when you get into yeah. the third season, you will de- you will absolutely detect the difference. Okay, because um, that's what I'm up to. Yeah. I'm up to this third season premiere. And when, you, when you're into the phone. fourth season, it's a whole new ballgame. It's and like, oh, now the shakedown stuff. cruise is over in terms of what Ira is doing in that show, and it just cooks. All right. And that's when they yeah. get more serialized, and that changes the ballgame, too. Yeah. And then then you got to watch Voyager. And then I'm, yeah, that happens. And that's so much. on TV. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to try then, because I, I'm not a big fan of Discovery or Picard because to me, it's not Star Trek. 
I feel like people, and I don't know, you guys can stop me if I'm not allowed to say no, this. No, keep going. People. But <laughs> this is what I think happens. Someone goes in and they're like, I'd like to write Star Trek. I'd like to do this show. And then they're like, oh, we're going to give it to you. And he's like, the oh, thing is, I don't really like Klingons. And I don't like how they all work together. And I don't like anything. I want to do, really do Star Wars or I want to really do Battlestar. So it's just not my Star Trek. That's how I feel about this new one. Um, so I thought I'm going to go back and do all of these. Cause I love the next generation. I think, it, and watching it again, it's so amazing. Um, it's so funny. You say that because I like next generation. I'm a big fan of next gen. It's my third favorite Star Trek series. Oh, what are one and two? If you don't mind. Well, the original and then deep space nine and then next gen, but I really like next gen. And I was watching Pluto TV, as Darren knows. I got my COVID shot and my flu shot, and I was uh, laid up all weekend because I'm a wimp recovering from the uh, recovering from all that. And so, you know, I couldn't concentrate. So I I turned on Pluto TV, you know, where they just have the Star Trek. Based channel. on my recommendation, hey, yes, boy, of, hey, of course, boy. yeah, based on your recommendation, <laughs> of course. So I'm watching, and and it's so funny because they had a bunch of original Star Treks on. Yeah, I'm literally, you know, one second, I could tell you what the episode was. One second, one second. Next generation, boom, 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 boom. They get to an episode. I had no idea what the episode was. I'm like, did they just make this and add this to the rotation? It was this thing called Inheritance from seventh season where um, Data um, is uh, uh, meets Dr. Soong's wife or something. And I'm like, "I, I... I mean, I've never know seen, seen this it, before, but I'm like, <laughs> how did this slide in? Like, is somebody like making new episodes of Next Generation? Is that telling me? Because I don't remember this episode at all. Yeah, we were literally. we were all <laughs> sworn to secrecy, Mark. And yeah. I was sure <laughs> don't it's, it's like the Truman Show, but it different. would start to come back to me because you know I've written a few words about Star Trek. You have, and it was like or two. I had no idea what the fuck it was. I didn't remember it. I didn't know what was going on. I like, I literally like was completely. Was it like, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Except it was, like it was Star Trek. Yeah, it, it was like a race yeah. for my mind. Just blame it on the booster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what they're doing to us now. I'm, I'm like, what you, is this? Get that booster shot. Yeah. I, 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 I remember it on the Star booster Trek. was an abandoned episode. It's going to be funny because I'm going to go back and, and find a Cinefantastic where I reviewed it and wrote about it. And you gave and it three I, and a half stars. And I'm gonna be, yeah, I'm probably, I'm gonna be like, <laughs> I will I never forget this. The first, the first paragraph was, I doubt I'm going to remember this in the future. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like bizarre. I mean, I've never had that. I mean, there are episodes I vaguely, you know, I don't really remember what happened in the episode or whatever. I like did not remember this episode at all. That it was an episode. I don't remember an episode with that title. I don't remember anything about it. It was that, that See, that's I always have told my wife if I ever get Alzheimer's, like make me watch Twin Peaks again right away. Like, <laughs> I would love to go down Twin Peaks and not remember something, you know, or if I start forgetting things, like I want that to happen. To well, me. I felt just... that way the first time I saw it. Jeez. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, we'll have the Vulcan will do forget, forget. Um, okay. Well, you got to ask your Star Trek question. You happy now? Yeah, thank you. That does help because I thought I just need to understand because everybody I keep seeing, you know, everyone's like Deep Space Nine, it's so good. And I'm like, I'm watching it. I've I've seen the beginning many times. I just never made it this far. But it's been a struggle. The first two seasons, I got to admit, struggle for me. I just want to tell our audience, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Scott's books. They're terrific. 
And I'm not just saying it because he writes about things I would never write about. So we're not competing. But <laughs> because uh, they don't make money. He knows <laughs> I don't make money. No, but but Scott, seriously, Scott's books. You know, I, I read a lot of his Twin Peaks work. I, I got to read the Letterman book. I, I've been meaning to read that. The next flight and uh, the Moonlighting yeah. <laughs> book is sensational. Um, and really, you owe it to yourself to to pick up these. Uh, the, the, these books they will be a revelation so i'm so glad that we had you on the show and to talk about moonlighting and if all goes well let's hope we'll be watching these uh episodes in pristine high def uh in the not too distant future well thank you guys so much for having me on and for all your kind words and for helping you know i i always wanted to be like that bag of peanuts that were given out on an airplane and now i kind of am <laughs> Me too. I always wanted to touch people and put them into anaphylactic shock. Yeah. Like that would be a great superpower. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And well, that's that's the character me... name, anaphylactic. <laughs> <laughs> Did the Beastie Boys to record a song? Anaphylactic. Oh no, it was a Oh my god. <laughs> it was an inheritance. I know that. That was the next generation. Vanilla <laughs> Flanagan and Data. Man, the seventh wow. season was really bad. I can't even remember it. <laughs> So anyway, but okay. About, I mean, I want to forget Sub Rosa with where Beverly's this was right before Sub Rosa, I guess. Ooh. Sub Rosa, I remember sadly, but yeah. um, but but inheritance, I do not remember at all. So anyway, Scott, so great yeah. having you, and we'll have yes. you back to talk about Twin Peaks in the future. Thank you. I appreciate it. And by all means, everyone who loves Deep Space Nine, please do not tweet me and tell me that I'm <laughs> wrong. I'm just I'm on the path. Okay, I'm just oh, asking questions. Wow, thank okay. you. Great talking Thanks, with you, Scott. Yeah, and that's why you subscribe to Deck Seventy Eight because that's if correct. you want to, I mean, this was supposed to be Trek adjacent, and then suddenly it became Trek. I don't know what happened. Something went uh, terribly sometimes wrong. You, sometimes you pivot. You know, sometimes you pivot. There was a little bit of adjacency there. I mean, he asked about Deep Space Nine. Renee was on Deep Space Nine. Renee worked for Glenn on Down Again, and. Glenn created and ran Moonlighting. It's like six degrees of of Kevin Bacon or whoever the hell that guy is. We gotta have uh, we gotta have uh, Renee on the show. I'm such a fan of Renee's writing, and you know he doesn't get the attention that people like Ron and Brandon get, and uh, even Irene having done the Expanse. And boy, Renee was a rock star on that staff. And uh, we 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 gotta have him. We gotta have him uh, on the show. But uh, Scott was a great guest. Uh, you know, he did a great, I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating. This book on moonlighting is terrific. If you have any interest in moonlighting, you got to pick it up. And then um, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, his 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 next project as well. Um, he's a really, really talented writer. And I'm glad that he he's like Ed Gross. He reminds me of Ed Gross because Ed's so interested in writing about anything he's passionate about. Like, right. you know, no matter, you know, there are 10 people interested, he doesn't care because he's just going to write it. He's writing a bunch of books bunch of books recently people said what are you guys doing next i'm, I'm not doing anything ed's writing a bunch of books about <laughs> stuff that i had no interest in it's but, unstoppable you can't but, stop the guy you can't but, be bargained with he can't be reasoned with no he is he's 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 definitely the terminator of journalism um but this the, is this the is journalator the journalator the, the exactly. journal, wait no yeah but I, that's what i love about this deck 78 where we can you know dive into any subjects uh, that we want uh, well, that we don't have to be constrained by uh, being Trek. That's one of the reasons why we got the secret password to get on the deck so that we could uh, open up uh, the Vista, if you will. Yeah, and if you want to be uh, a part of Deck 78, you can uh, join us at Trek Plus, Trek Plus by being a 
uh, Trexperts Plus subscriber, you can um, enjoy every episode of Deck 78, along with some special uh, special surprises for our Trexperts Plus subscribers. And uh, we hope you'll be joining us throughout uh, 2023 as we embark our on our inglorious live 2023 live tour. And uh, <laughs> hopefully... Uh, I know we're going to be uh, going to some interesting places. I can't wait for San Diego, only six months away. Good Lord. Is it really? No, it's seven. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, you're right. Hell with it. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun, fun stuff, fun, fun times. So, uh, uh, And unfortunately, we're not going to be at WonderCon this year. No, because we're going to be in Richmond. We're going to be in Richmond, oh. Virginia for uh, GalaxyCon in Richmond. Yeah. And, in uh, fact... Uh, one of my, uh, I'm not going to be there, but one of my very best friends in the entire world, uh, since I was, I was a lad, uh, lives there. And, uh, he told me he plans to go and we'll come and say hello. So we'll, we'll talk. That's about exciting. It. So maybe we'll have some, uh, stories about Ashley. Well, maybe That's you should right. come. Maybe Ashley can come. Maybe, you know, maybe hopefully we'll be such a huge hit at, uh, Columbus that they will want to bring I Ashley love this to, in Ohio. Uh, to Richmond, I, uh, I like the uh, the uh, blurb you put up that said we were discovering Columbus, which is a nice. <laughs> <with> that. <laughs> um, by the way, a good friend of, of yours is going to be in Columbus. Uh, I think she worked for you, uh, Amy Chu, right? Didn't she yeah. work for you on Dota? Yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, she's going to be there. So it's like uh, we we we, we got to you know you're going to be you're going to be joining the uh, the Trex vs. Life uh, uh, tour soon. And uh, and then we got to decide if we're going to go to Vegas this year, right? Well, yes, we, we go to Vegas. We're going to go to. Vegas. <laughs> of course, we are. <laughs> I don't know. It's right around when I'm retiring. You're money. You're so money, and you don't even know it. <laughs> Maybe we can have my Inglorious Trexperts retirement party there. Is this uh, invite the lady on the scooter? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Ma'am, yeah. if you're out there, I think there's a hole in the desert. I'd like to invite her to. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But uh, the neon, I got to go to that neon jungle where they have all the old dead neon signs. And apparently that's pretty cool. Sure. Let's go watch something that's dead. Yeah. yeah. Dead thing. Why, we go to the Star Trek convention. <laughs> Star Trek convention isn't dead. It's oh. just as long as we remember it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, guys, uh, I don't know when this is going to air, so I'm not going to talk about the holiday special on Trexperts. It either was fantastic or it's going to be fantastic. I don't or it's know. still going on. Or it's still going All on. three of those things are true at the same time. It's like Schrodinger's <laughs> holiday special. <laughs> yeah, but always this is always good to hang out on Deck 78. And Indeed. I think uh, also if you want to um, suggest some topics for future episodes, I know we want to hit... Logan's run soon. You guys just did a great episode together on RoboCop. Uh, we got some more uh, episodes coming up uh, as well, and we're going to be doing uh, we're going to be doing a deep dive onto Andor after the season finale. So uh, make sure you join us for that uh, for the uh, season finale of Andor as we uh, we talk Star Wars here in the uh, Deck seventy eight. Unless it's already happened and you've already heard it. Yeah, that's true. I should commit. I should commit to uh, to what we're covering. Who knows? In which case, there. please tell us. You know what we think. We've, yeah, we've been caught in a time warp. That's right. Well, that's let's right. do the time warp. Okay. Well, listen uh, again. Uh, Trexpress Plus is where you can find us. Trexpressplus.com. Uh, well, yeah, I know, but uh, and of course, uh, we're still on Twitter. So follow us at the Inglorious Trek on Twitter. Or if you're not on Twitter anymore, you can go to Instagram or Facebook for Inglorious Trexpress, and we'd love to see you there. 
And uh, we thank you for joining us for another episode of Deck 78. And thanks for your support of Trexworth Plus. And we'll see you again soon. And Here on closed. Deck 78, the bar is closed. So until then, fire the rockets. Deck 78 is an exclusive podcast from Trexperts Plus. Thank you.